Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of All About Fitness. This episode I'm picking up with Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple, and we are in Chapter 2, Movement and Intensity in Practice. If you've been following along to this point, you've heard me talking about why we need to think about different components of exercise, core strength training, metabolic conditioning, mobility, And what I'm doing is I'm reading directly out of my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. That's because it occurs to me, well, number one, (laughs) to be 100% honest, I've started listening to more audiobooks myself lately. As I've been doing the podcast, I, of course, listen to a lot of other podcasts. However, I've also started listening to audiobooks, and I really like the audiobook format. And it made a lot of sense to me to why not use my podcast channel or use my podcast feed to create an audiobook of sorts for Smarter Workouts. So that's exactly what I'm doing. Here we are, Chapter 2, Movement and Intensity in Practice, and we're picking up with Roll of the Heart. The heart is a muscle that functions as a pump to circulate blood through the body to carry nutrients and oxygen to muscles to create the ATP required to perform physical activity and remove metabolic byproducts, the exhaust from muscle contractions which can either be recycled into new ATP or excreted from the body. Any form of exercise that elevates the heart rate is helping it become a stronger, more efficient pump. The harder you work, the faster the heart has to pump to do its job of delivering the good stuff, oxygen, nutrients, and removing the bad stuff, metabolic byproducts, from the working muscles. The heart rate, HR, is measured in beats per minute, BPM. The most effective way to determine the intensity of cardiovascular exercise is to pay attention to your HR by means of measuring its beats per minute. When exercise becomes too intense, the body is not able to efficiently remove metabolic byproducts, the hydrogen ions and lactic acid and inorganic phosphates and other stuff, from muscle tissue, so it begins to accumulate, leading to acidosis, which means blood has become more acidic thus creating that sensation of the muscle burning when you're working really hard. 
A common gym belief claims that in order to burn fat and lose weight, it is necessary to perform an extensive amount of cardiorespiratory exercise, often shortened to just cardio. While not wrong, this is often an incomplete explanation of what is happening during exercise that elevates the heart rate. As mentioned earlier, anytime you're breathing, you're bringing oxygen into your body and your lungs are placing it into your blood, which is then pumped to the muscles that need it. But when it comes to exercise, your body needs to produce energy to fuel the activity that you are doing. Therefore, it is more appropriate to refer to this type of exercise as metabolic conditioning in order to identify the specific pathway or pathways that will be used to create energy during a workout. To help you understand why this is important, consider sport-specific training. Metabolic conditioning for a specific sport should focus on how the body moves in the sport as well as the pathways that will produce and deliver the energy for that activity. For example, endurance runners will focus on aerobic metabolism for long-term energy for the legs, while the athletes in sports such as football, rugby, or basketball will focus on training the anaerobic pathways to be more efficient at producing energy for explosive movements required for their respective sports. Metabolic conditioning for the purpose of promoting good health and maintaining a healthy body weight should focus on exercises that are energy expensive, that is these exercises that expend a number of calories in a relatively short amount of time. Aerobic metabolism requires oxygen and uses either fat or carbohydrate to produce energy during low intensity activities. Yet this is considered slow. Anaerobic metabolism converts carbohydrates into ATP when energy is needed quickly. During anaerobic glycolysis, one molecule of glycogen, how carbohydrate is stored in muscle or transported in blood. Actually, carbohydrate is stored in, in, in muscle as a glycogen, transported as blood as glucose. That's a little edit I need to make there. Can provide one molecule of ATP or one molecule of glycogen, sorry, one molecule of glycogen can provide two to three molecules of ATP anaerobically. Aerobic glycolysis can yield up to 40 molecules of ATP from one molecule of glycogen. That's why, high, if I'm going to stop here real quick, that's why high-intensity interval training is so effective at burning calories. During anaerobic glycolysis, which takes place during HIT, high-intensity interval training, during anaerobic glycolysis, one glycogen produces two or three ATP. It has to do with the glucose in there. So one, during high-intensity exercise, one glycogen only produces two or three ATP. During moderate intensity exercise, one glycogen can produce about 40 ATP. So when you're doing really high intensity exercise, you're going to be using a lot more carbohydrate to produce the ATP necessary to fuel muscle activity. However, the downside is the metabolic byproduct, the lactate, the, the inorganic phosphates, the hydrogen ions. Those are the outcome. When you burn gas in your engine, you have exhaust go out the tailpipe. When you burn carbohydrate to produce ATP at a high intensity, you create that, that metabolic byproduct that causes that sensation of burning in your muscle. That's why the, the intervals are so important. Specifically, that's why the recovery intervals are so important during interval training is because basically you're recycling that metabolic byproduct into new ATP. Let me pick up where we are, where we left off. When energy, uh, da, da, da. when energy is produced during aerobic lipolysis, one molecule of free fatty acids yields approximately 129 ATP. So you can see how there's a bit of a difference. At lower intensity, 
fat yields more ATP. But when we exercise at a high intensity, we need it quicker, so our body converts to using anaerobic glycolysis to produce energy quicker. That's why you start breathing quickly and start sweating more, because when you're working really hard, carbohydrate holds on to water in the muscle cell. So when you're working really hard and you're using carbohydrate to fuel muscle activity, your muscle cells are releasing that water to cool your body. You can see how it all comes together. Are you remembering any of your 10th or 11th grade physiology? <laughs> I don't know about you, but as I even doing the research and reading through this, it's like I can hear I can hear Mr. Gocknauer coming up and lecturing in front of class. So I was like my 11th grade anatomy physiology teacher. Anyway, I don't mean to take you back on that trip. So similar to how a car's engine remains warm after being turned off, once a workout is over and you're back in your daily routine, your body's metabolism can re remain elevated, burning more calories than when at complete rest. This physiological effect is called post-exercise oxygen consumption, EPOC. EPOC is the amount of oxygen required to restore your body to its normal resting level of metabolic function, called homeostasis, and explains how your body can continue to burn calories for a period of time after you've finished your workout. Exercise that places a greater demand on the anaerobic energy pathways during the workout can increase the need for oxygen after the workout, enhancing the EPOC effect. You've probably heard epoch or the afterburn, and that's a real thing. That really is. Your body, you can probably feel it. If you do a really hard workout, and I'm going to go back and use the use an episode of Seinfeld. I don't know if you remember the episode of Seinfeld where George is playing basketball during work, and he comes in for a meeting one time, and he's still sweating during the meeting, and everybody makes fun of him. He goes, the shower didn't take, Jerry. The shower didn't take. That's because he was sweating after the workout. Well, that's a real thing. Think about your car engine. When you turn your car engine off after a long trip, your car engine is still warm and it's going to remain warm for a period of time. After you've finished a high-intensity workout, your muscles are going to remain warm and, and their metabolism is going to remain elevated for a period of time because the muscles will continue to be working to recycle and remove the byproduct out, bring new oxygen in, bring protein in, bring, the, bring hormones in like testosterone and growth factors, that need to repair the tissues. So your metabolism is working for a period of time after you've done exercise. So the whole period of returning to homeostasis, you get finished with working out, the whole period of returning to homeostasis is the recovery period. That's what I write about in my upcoming book about the science of recovery, is what can we do after the workout to facilitate and accelerate the return to homeostasis. So again, we, we understand that high intensity exercise disrupts homeostasis, that period of returning to homeostasis after high intensity exercise is the epoch because our muscles are burning more oxygen as we metabolize our way back to resting. So similar epoch, epoch is the amount of oxygen required to restore your body to its normal resting level of metabolic function. Exercise that places a greater demand on the anaerobic energy pathways can enhance the epoch effect. When the need for anaerobic ATP increases, it also creates a greater demand on the aerobic system to replenish that ATP during the rest intervals as well as the post-exercise recovery process. Strength training use, using compound multi-joint movement patterns in a circuit format alternating between upper and lower body actions with minimal rest period between exercises places a greater demand on the involved muscles for ATP from the anaerobic pathways and can result in an elevated epoch. Exercising to the point of momentary fatigue, combined with shorter recovery intervals, 
can increase the demand on the anaerobic energy pathways during exercise, resulting in a greater epoch. The epoch effect is real, but it has been overemphasized by well-meaning but ill-informed fitness professionals. When compared to being in a normal rested state, your body will burn more calories after a high-intensity exercise. But, and this is true, it is not a significant amount of calories, so it's important to make smart nutrition choices if your primary reason for working out is weight management. What that means, what, I'm trying to, what I want to get across is that EPOC effect is real. You are metabolizing calories, more calories after exercise than while at rest. But here's the thing. It is not a significant number of calories. For, say, a 170, 175-pound person, 20% body fat, you're probably going to look at burning an additional 150, 200 calories during 12 hours of EPOC. And I'm just, that's just rough. I don't know exact body, you know, body mass and everything because your lean muscle will determine the amount of lean muscle you mass you have can determine your resting metabolism. But I think somebody weighing about 175 pounds, give or take, can burn about 150, 200 calories during 12 hours of epoch. That's not a lot. It takes about 100 calories to walk a mile. So during 12 hours post a really hard workout, you might burn an additional mile and a half, two miles of energy. I mean, that, 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 there's a little bit to that, I guess, but it's just not that significant of a thing. Where I'm going with that is don't get finished with a high-intensity workout and think, okay, my body's continuing to burn calories. I can go have a muffin. Or I can go have a bagel. I can go have a treat because my body is my, you're metabolizing more efficiently. Yes, it is. But sugar is still sugar is going to create a load, right? When you when you take in sugar after a workout, it's going to change your your insulin levels. It's going to change your carbohydrate metabolism. So the point is, if you're done really a really hard workout, the epoch effect is real. If you want to treat after a hard workout, go with a chocolate recovery drink. Get your get your treat from the chocolate recovery drink because the recovery drink will kickstart the the protein and kickstart the repair process, so you can get ready for the next workout. Let's go into the physics of exercise. We're still in chapter two, movement and intensity and practice. The physics of exercise. How the body consumes, stores, and expends energy is a function of both dietary intake and physical activity. Identifying how Newton's laws of physics apply to exercise can help you understand why regular exercise is so important for maintaining a healthy body weight. Exercise is the application of these basic laws of physics. It is simply performing work and expending energy to accomplish physical tasks. Inertia or momentum. Inertia refers to how a body at rest will stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Momentum refers to how a body in motion will remain in motion unless acted upon by an external force. Applied to exercise, this law explains how a mass, whether your body weight or an external load, will remain at a constant state of rest until another force, like one from muscle shortening, is applied to create motion. So think about that barbell sitting on the ground. That barbell is experiencing inertia. It is not moving until your muscles generate a force to act on that barbell. That is the first law of physics. Momentum, body at rest state, your body in motion stays in motion, or inertia, body at rest stays at rest. It is our muscular force that changes the inertia or momentum of an object. That takes us to law number two. Force equals mass times acceleration. Force is the product of a mass and its acceleration. When a muscle contracts, it is generating force to accelerate that mass. In exercise, force can be manipulated one of two ways. 
using a heavier mass to challenge muscles to generate greater magnitudes of force, or use an object with a light mass and move it at a faster rate of acceleration. Work measured in joules is a product of force and distance. Work equals force times distance. It is the amount of muscular force required to move a mass a quantifiable distance, which can be how far a body segment moves with each repetition. Power measured in watts or joules per second is the rate of doing work and measures the amount of work performed per unit time. Another way to describe power is that it is a product of force and velocity. Either way, the faster an object can be accelerated, the greater the amount of power generated. If you have only a limited amount of time for exercise, say 30 minutes, increasing your speed of movement, as is done during fast-paced metabolic conditioning, can increase your overall work rate and your net caloric expenditure. This is where my background in economics, I studied economics undergrad, really came into play in my career as a personal trainer. Because economics is about the study of finite resources, and time is our most finite resource. As I was getting into personal training, I realized that if I was only working with my clients for about 50, 55 minutes, that's a very fixed unit of time. What's going to be the most effective way to help them maximize caloric expenditure during that time? And that got me to power training and metabolic conditioning. And that was in the early 2000s before something called CrossFit came on the line. So when CrossFit was introduced, I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's just that's metabolic conditioning with some Olympic lifts thrown in. And it really was nothing seriously groundbreaking for any of us that really understood physiology and the physics of exercise. But that's one of the reasons why I'm walking through this right now. So you have law one of physics is inertia or momentum. Law two is force is mass times acceleration. Law three is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Applied to exercise, this law supports the said principle of exercise program design which states the body will adapt, react, to the physical demands imposed on it, action. For example, when you use a strength training machine that dictates the movement, the body reacts by becoming strong specifically for the motion allowed by that machine. If you perform only a minimal amount of physical activity throughout the day, you will not expend the energy, calories, being consumed through your diet, which can lead to weight gain. The overload principle states that achieving results from exercise requires challenging a physiological system to perform a greater amount of physical work than it is currently able to perform. An effective method for improving muscle strength is to apply a physical stimulus to the muscles at a greater intensity than they are accustomed to receiving. Exercising with weights like medicine balls, dumbbells, kettlebells, or sandbags stimulates specific neural and structural adaptations that can improve the size and force production capacity of skeletal muscle. Applied correctly, an overload can improve the efficiency at which the muscle communicates with the central nervous system, as well as leading to an increase in the size and structure of the involved fibers and connective tissue, for example, by activating more muscle motor neurons and their attached muscle fibers. A different way to apply an overload is to challenge your coordination by using patterns that move your body in a variety of directions. Exercises to strengthen the core should integrate motion of the hips, trunk, and shoulders to efficiently distribute forces when moving in multiple directions. Forces applied to the human body, whether external from resistance training equipment or internal in response to muscle contractions, can change the shape and function of tissues, specifically muscle, bone, and fascia. Optimal movement efficiency relies on the integrating of muscle, fascia, and the nervous system, which uses sensory input to coordinate the appropriate motor response, 
ultimately leading to improvements in coordinating and movement skill, coordination and movement skill. The point is we have to think of how we move as a function of exercise. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If all you do is sit in machines and do isolation exercises, that's the only movement you're going to be able to perform. You're limiting your movement ability. But if you apply functional training principles, if you teach your body how to move, if you teach your body how to hinge, push, pull, rotate, if you do a lot of unilateral training, training on a single leg, training with only one arm at a time, you are using your body the way it was intended to move. That's the argument that that myself and many of my colleagues put out there is we want to challenge you to move your body the way it was intended to. And what we do is we harness the rules of physics that are inherent in our environment. By using our entire body, we are going to overcome inertia. We are going to generate muscle force. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. We generate, we produce energy, we expend energy. We can manage a healthy body weight. So let's talk about how do we organize a workout. Organizing workout variables. The human body is extremely efficient at conserving energy. The more often you perform a certain exercise with the same amount of weight or run the same distance the more efficient your body will become at performing that work. And you could experience a reduced training effect. Workout programs based on learning and performing movement patterns can provide you with more options for how to exercise, which can ultimately lead to greater results. Whether it's exercise to improve muscular strength, enhance metabolic efficiency, or increase mobility, exercise programs contain the same basic elements known as variables of exercise program design which are exercise selection, intensity, repetitions, tempo, rest interval, sets, and frequency of exercise sessions. How these variables are organized and applied will determine the results from an exercise program. And that really is consistent. Any exercise program has the same variables. And I'm about to go through the variables. Whether you're a runner, whether you're a weightlifter, whatever program you're doing, the variables are the same, and the variables are exercise selection. Exercise selection are the exercises performed during a workout. A program that favors some exercises or muscles over others could cause the muscle imbalances that are a potential source of injury. Your nervous system is extremely efficient at coordinating individual muscle firing patterns to perform integrated patterns. For best results, exercises should be based on movement patterns that require the integration and coordination of many muscles working together to generate forces needed for joint motion. The workouts in this book are organized into exercise selection based on five basic patterns of human movement. Squatting or hinging patterns, that's where the hips flex and extend with both feet on the ground. Lunging or single leg patterns, that's where one foot leaves the ground and makes contact in a pattern similar that occurs when you're walking or running. Pushing patterns, The hands move away from the body, either to the front or an overhead position. Pulling patterns, hands move toward the body from either the front or overhead position. And rotational movements, either the thoracic spine or pelvis rotate to provide motion. Effective exercise programs select the appropriate movements and organize them in a progressively more challenging sequence to ensure the necessary overload to make the desired changes. And that's true. If you look And then that's where we've evolved to in fitness is we think of movement patterns because movement patterns involve many more muscles. And there are many arguments why we should be doing that as opposed to isolation. The next variable, so exercise selection, the actual exercise you're doing or the exercise is, is the first variable. 
The next variable is intensity. The specific amount of weight or external resistance used for strength training. Often intensity refers to the amount of weight used with traditional equipment such as barbells, dumbbells, or machines. In general, heavier weights for increasing core strength require fewer repetitions and place a mechanical overload on the muscles, while using a light weight or body weight means doing more repetitions to create a metabolic overload. So intensity can be either using a heavy load to create mechanical overload or working to the point of fatigue, working fast to the point of fatigue to create metabolic overload. Let's go to repetition. A repetition is a single individual action of muscle at a joint or series of joints that involves three phases of muscle action, muscle lengthening, a momentary pause, and muscle shortening. Repetitions and intensity have an inverse relationship. As intensity increases, the number of repetitions able to be performed decreases. Heavier weights can induce mechanical overload in only a few repetitions, while lighter loads or body weight exercises can be done for a relatively high number of repetitions to create metabolic overload. Repetitions can also be performed for a specific amount of time. If this is the case, the goal is to perform as many as possible in the available period of time. So repetitions can be done for a number, they can be done for time. The the main thing is, and, and, and here's the secret to any outcome from strength training, perform repetitions to the point of fatigue. If you want to increase your muscle size, if you want to increase definition, either way, rep to the point of fatigue, not able to do another rep. That is what will engage all involved muscle fibers. Next one is a set. A set is a number of repetitions or length of time a specific exercise is performed before a rest interval to allow recovery. The exact number of sets in each workout is based on the available amount of time and your focus, core strength, metabolic conditioning, or mobility. And here's the thing. There's a lot of research on the number of sets, the amount of volume. And from what I've seen, the number of sets, probably about three sets per workout would, is enough to induce an overload. Four, maybe you know, five overkill. Two might not be enough. So from the research I've seen, I've generally landed on three or four sets of any exercise to induce an overload. But that's everybody's going to respond differently. Next variable is tempo. Tempo is the speed of movement for an exercise. Time under tension is also known as time under tension, which is the length of time muscle fibers are under mechanical tension from a resistance training exercise. Along with intensity, time under tension, or TUT, is critical for creating the desired stimulus of either mechanical or metabolic overload. A slower TUT can induce more mechanical overload. A faster tempo can create a better or greater metabolic response. So tempo can influence the speed. Tempo is the speed of movement, and tempo can greatly influence the type of overload placed on the body. The next variable is rest interval. Rest interval is the time between exercise sets. A rest interval allows replenishment of ATP stores in the involved muscles and recovery from neural fatigue. Proper rest intervals are essential for increasing muscle strength and allowing for optimal metabolic conditioning. And here's the thing about rest intervals. If you're doing heavy strength training, longer rest intervals are more important to allow for complete replenishment of the energy. It takes maybe three to five minutes to fully replenish carbohydrate, glycogen, ATP stores. If you're training for strength, you need that longer recovery period. However, if you're training for fitness, if you're training just to enhance your quality of life, shorter recovery intervals, shorter rest intervals between sets enhance the metabolic overload and keep you working throughout the workout. The next variable is frequency. 
Frequency is the number of workouts or exercise sessions within a specific period of time, such as a week or month. Too many high-intensity workouts without proper recovery in between each workout could lead to overtraining or an injury. And that's what my next book is about. Finally, recovery. That's what the book is about. Finally, recovery. Following exercise, the body needs time to repair damaged tissues and replace spent energy. Following exercise, we need to return to homeostasis. The time between workouts is when your body restores the muscle glycogen used in exercise and initiates the protein synthesis to prepare muscle, damaged muscles. Exercise is the application of a physical stimulus. It is a period afterwards when the body actually experiences the physiological changes. And that is why I wrote my book on recovery is because exercise is only one part of the equation. The rest of the equation is what you do after exercise. And we're going to pick up with that on the next on the next episode. The next episode, we're going to keep going into programming. We're going to talk about how do we organize these variables. And again, the variables, any exercise program that you do are going to have the same variables. Exercises, what are you going to do? Intensity, how hard are you going to go? Repetitions, how many are you going to do? Sets, how many groups of repetitions are you going to do? Tempo, how fast are you moving? Are you moving slow? Are you moving as fast as you can? What's your rest interval? How long are you resting after each exercise? How many workouts? What's your frequency? How many are you going to do in a week? So you can begin to see if you understand these, if you understand these concepts and you know how to apply them, well, now you can become your own personal trainer and design your workouts. You know that on days that you want to push yourself, what can you do? Increase the number of repetitions, increase the tempo, and decrease the rest interval. And that's going to create a harder workout. On the other side, if you're feeling a little fatigued and you want to move, but you don't want to overwork yourself, lower the number of reps, slow down the tempo, increase the rest interval, and now you're moving, but you're not doing it at a overload. You're not trying to challenge or overstress your body. That's how we manipulate these intervals to generate the responses we want from the workouts. And we're going to pick up with that on the next episode. So, hey, if you want to reach out to me, you can connect with me, Pete, at Pete McCall Fitness. That's Pete, at Pete McCall Fitness. You can always ping me on Instagram. My Instagram is all about fitness podcasts on Instagram. That is all about fitness podcasts on Instagram. As always, thanks for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.